episode is with the Ziona McIntyre. Now, for all of you that are interested in entering or scaling in the real estate investing space, this is a wonderful episode. And Ziona specifically, she focuses on midterm rentals, which is a really gorgeous space in terms of being between short-term rentals and long-term rentals. So kind of think your short vacation rentals versus kind of someone that just lives in a property for an extended period of time. That middle sweet spot, right, for the travel nurse or someone that needs a furnished place for three months, four months, five months. And there's so much gold and opportunity there. So Ziona, she's an agent, she's an investor, she's also a mentor to people getting involved in this space. So in this episode, you can look forward to us talking about all kinds of things. So we talk about the nuanced differences between short-term rentals and midterm rentals, really why midterm rentals are a wonderful investment opportunity, how to provide a great experience for your guests. And we also talk about the future of midterm rentals. What direction are midterm rentals going in and what can we maybe look forward to 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road? Definitely don't want to miss it. It's a wonderful episode. And I will say, in my own experience, midterm rentals truly are a great way to scale and get involved in the real estate investing space. Anyways, take a listen and enjoy. Every person I've ever met cares deeply about something, whether it be women's rights, financial independence, the freedom to believe in a God or the universe even their child's education. And oftentimes when advocating for these causes, people find themselves depleted, full stop. Is it possible for us to create the world of our ideals from a place of lack? Well, what if we flip the script? What if we can shift our focus from what we don't want to what we do want? What if we can create the world we want from a place of joy, love, and abundance instead? Finding the nuance in this shift is a lifetime practice, and that is what this podcast is here to discuss and investigate. My name is Lola Sofia Bovell, and I am the host of the Latina Advocate Podcast. If you love our content on everything from advocacy to building generational wealth, make sure to not only subscribe to our podcast, but rate and review it as well. You can do this anywhere you get your podcasts, but especially on Apple and Spotify. Also, make sure you're following us on Instagram and TikTok. Our handle is at the Latina Advocate Podcast, just as it's spelled. Thanks for your support. Do you have summer plans yet? Well, whether you do or you don't, we've got something exciting to add to your list. The Latina Advocate Podcast is going to Puerto Rico. From its rich African, Taino, and Spanish roots, to the artistic genius and cultural influences that are today taking the world by storm, there is no question that Puerto Rico and its people have so much to offer. That's why we'll be spending time there this summer so we can interview the amazing people there and learn about the culture, the politics, the biodiversity, the history, the cuisine, the conservation efforts, the land, and so much more. If you'd like to join us as we document our journey, consider this your invitation. Yes, you, you're invited. All of our interviews and reflections will only be made available to the Latina Advocate Podcast community that join our summer segments. Consider it your special bonus for supporting our work. 
the early bird pricing to gain exclusive access to the segment is only $25, and it ends on Monday, April 10th. Sign up now before you regret it, because you'll want access when you start hearing about our guests, and then you'll be paying regular price. I mean, it all supports our work, so it's all still appreciated, but right now is the true deal. And before I get the question, no, you don't have to be Puerto Rican, Latinx, or honestly really part of any particular ethnic group to join us. You just need to love immersing yourself in culture and want to support our podcast. So tell your friends, family members, and community so we can share the love. The link to join is in our show notes and Instagram bio. I cannot wait to share this exclusive and exciting journey with you. Thank you for your support. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome to the Latina Advocate Podcast. Lola Sofia Bovell here, your host. Super excited. I feel like I say that like every episode, but really I'm super excited. So I have Ziona McIntyre here and she is this phenomenal woman that I met at the short-term rental summit through the Real Estate Robinson. So Sarah and Tony, again, shameless plug. A lot of you that, that listen regularly know this, but so Sarah was on for episode six of the podcast. We talked all about women in real estate investing and it was awesome. But anyways, at the summit, I got to hear Ziona speak, and she is just such a grounded, kind individual, like just, just emanates from her. And then she's also just mm-hmm. a lot of fun as well, and just super informative. So all the things, right? And Uh-oh. what I, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. <laughs> can't see her right now, but she's kind of like dancing. <laughs> anyways, without further ado, she is amazing, and she knows a lot about short-term rentals, mid-term rentals. Without further ado. Ziona, it's great to have you here. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Wow. I'm like, can you follow me around with that hype? Like, great. <laughs> like ready to go take out the world. Yeah, well, it's true. It's true, girl. It's true. So let's just go ahead and jump in. So Ziona is an expert in terms of these areas, but I would love to get an understanding of who is Ziona and why did she decide to get involved in the real estate investing space? Wow. I've always loved homes. And when I was younger, we were pretty poor. My mom is from Puerto Rico. So I've got Latin plug there, but she moved to the US for a better life and didn't even teach us Spanish, which I think was a mistake. But I think it was because she had such a hard time learning English. She really wanted to give us like all the opportunities. Mm -hmm. And she was a single mom and she started as a cleaning lady and worked her way up. And so now actually full circle, I just like love being able to employ and give opportunities to so many cleaning ladies that like bring their little kiddos to the job and all that. Cause I was that kid. So it's so cool to come full circle. But when we were younger, my mom would move around all the furniture. She like loved to do with what we had, but like I'd come home from school and everything would be like in different spots. And so I got like really into design and like the feeling of spaces from a young age. And Mm. I used to be the type that like, when I would go to someone's house, I'm like, give me a tour. I want to see everything. I want to see how you live. So that was paid off. <laughs> yeah. And now I get to create spaces for other people. So that's awesome. But yeah, I didn't think that we could ever get into real estate because I just didn't think we could ever own property. Mm-hmm. And so it is incredible to be in the space now and also to help people get over that first hurdle. Because I think so many people just think it's not on the table for them. And I want them to know that it is. So, yeah. So my mom never got to own a property and I'm still very sad about that, but she did get me 
going. She was such a cheerleader. Yeah. Well, she's with you and everything that you do. So she's, yeah, she I'm sees gonna cry. it. Aww, <laughs> you. Mama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just so important. It's also interesting to me. My grandmother, so I'm Puerto Rican as well. I was born in South Florida, but my family is Puerto Rican. I identify as Puerto Rican. You can't tell me nothing. But but my grandmother, she was also a cleaning lady. And that's how she made ends meet. And it's interesting how just having that knowledge and that experience and also just having so much love for my grandmother who's still here, thankfully, with us right now. But it makes me think about cleaners in a whole different way. So it's like I make yeah. sure I go out of my way to make sure that we were paying like really good wages and that we're tipping people well and like. Even when I stay at a hotel or whatever, I'll always leave a tip. It's just, it gives you a different perspective. So I can definitely appreciate where you're coming from with that. So thank you for sharing. It's such a hustle. And that is the backbone of our businesses. So if you're doing furnished rentals, whether they're short or midterm, it's like you depend so much on that cleaning team. Yeah. Treat them well. Yeah. Which is a whole nother thing too, because that's actually been like the hardest thing for me and my short-term rentals is finding a good cleaning team. I wasn't even planning on asking you that off the bat, but you know what? Like, I would love to hear your thoughts on that because it is really hard to find someone that is not only, or maybe a team that is stable that you can rely on, but that also does like excellent work. Do you have thoughts about that? Yeah. Usually for me, it comes through recommendation found that the bigger operations are not that great. And it's surprising because you'd think, wow, okay, they've got this all set up and they're well oiled machine, but not always. And so usually what I end up finding are smaller teams where it's like maybe two or three people run by one person and they just do a really good job. But yeah, I would be asking other operators in the space. So the best thing I can always recommend to people is go out to meetups and join groups online, especially if you're an out-of-state investor. It's like, just mingle with a bunch of other people that are doing what you want to do in that market. A lot of people in real estate are really wanting to help and share. Yeah. That's one thing that I've noticed too. And I remember telling Sarah this, but it's just fascinating to me how everyone is so nice in these real estate investing spaces. It's almost peculiar. Like I remember whenever I worked the W-2 job and had the salary and you go to these conferences, nobody wants to be there (laughs) and you get that vibe, but you go to a place like the short-term rental summit, or I think you're speaking at the midterm rental summit, but like you go to these summits and these investing places and it's wow, like everyone is jamming, vibing in a good place and wanting to learn, like genuinely writing notes. It's just such a different experience. So anyways, I agree with you. Yes. Folks generally, they generally tend to be super, super nice. So let's, let's take a step back. So short-term rentals, midterm rentals, can you walk us through and walk our listeners through what are like the major differences between the two and which you prefer? And are you generally doing more of a hybrid model? Just all the questions around those spaces. Yeah. Yeah. So a short-term rental is anything under 30 days. And usually the average day there is three or four nights. A midterm rental is anything above 30 days. And the average day you see there is three months. So that's kind of like the major difference. But because of that difference, you do have really different tenants. You might have just vacationers or people passing through an area with the short-term rental. With midterm, you're usually focusing on somebody who's there for work. So they're either a digital nomad, which is someone who's more of a slow vacationer, or they're coming in as a business traveler. So they're coming to a local office. So maybe they're going to their Google office in this area or something like that. And then we have traveling nurses, which is a big part 
and traveling nurses are only getting more and more in demand. So that is a big population that we serve. And then you have a lot of other spaces where it's corporate housing specific, and that can be construction companies for short-term projects and government contracts and all kinds of stuff. So tenant pool is quite large, but I love serving that population because even as we're talking about a recession, people Mm -hmm. go back and forth about that. It makes people nervous, right? Whether or not we're in a recession, whether or not you're directly affected, you might say, maybe I should save my money and not go on that trip. Right. And if you're doing this work travel, you have to travel, right? That's part of your job. You're going to keep doing that. And so I like serving that population where they're more professional. They're not really going to wreck your house like a hotel kind of thing. And they're also like having to continue these jobs. So that's some of the differences there. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you're definitely leaning more toward the midterm rental side of things. If you had to pick a side. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Yeah. I just find it to be a bit easier. So when you're in the vacation rental space, there's a certain amount of entitlement maybe from the guests where they want a certain level of service. They're only there for a little bit of time. They want everything to work. And I get it. And it's not always the way that homes are, right? Something's going to naturally break whenever it breaks. And unfortunately, that happens on somebody's time. When you've got a midterm guest, they're there so much longer. They're willing to change the batteries and the smoke detector. And they're just like a partner. They'll do stuff with you. They'll let you have a handyman over if you need to fix something. They're there for you. So I tend to just like that type of guest. And they're longer so Often people are learning your house in the first couple of nights and then you just don't hear from them. So I like that kind of piece of a lot of spaciousness and often these tenants will extend their stays. And so it might start with three months and end up being six. So you just need less tenants in general and it's pretty, pretty easy. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I would say in my experience too, I wasn't even really intentionally trying to get into the midterm rental space, but it just happened. And wow, it is a lot easier And because usually you're dealing with all this turnover and you have to manage the cleaning teams, making sure everything is replenished. And then you're dealing with yeah. constantly like different personalities, et cetera. You're right though. Midterm rentals, you might hear something the first night or two as they're learning the house, like you said, but then it's just, it's so passive after. And yeah. I have someone right now in one of my rentals and it's wonderful. And this is like a total tangent, but they actually found a dog in the backyard and it was this whole thing. We finally found the owners of the dog, but they were actually going to take the dog to the vet. And then they, they said that they couldn't find the owner they were going to take the dog back with them to the Midwest, like just lovely, lovely people, but just (laughs) you get to know people in these experiences too. I want to answer a question that I didn't answer and it was around the hybrid model. And what I would like to advise people is that if they're just getting started, it's one thing if you have a property and you're going to convert it, like it's a long-term rental and you're going to make it a midterm. But if you're going to break into a new market and just start doing this, I really recommend having something you can do hybrid. So that Mm. looks like having an area where you're still legally able to short-term rent, even though that's not going to be your primary strategy. And the reason for that is because then you don't have as much vacancy and you can fill in all those gaps. So I like to do primary midterm with a little bit of short-term sprinkled in. Okay. So yes, let's dig into the how of that a little bit, because I find myself like, I'll, I'll be thinking, okay, I want to do this nice long midterm rental from XYZ period. And this is literally where I'm at right now. And then I find myself, okay, no one's booked it yet. So then I open up like a month 
And I keep doing that for a while. And it's, it just feels yeah. kind of luck of the draw sometimes when I just get a midterm rental person just jumps in. So I'm wondering, where do you get the majority of your guests? So the majority come through Airbnb and Furnish Finder, but we are on a lot of other platforms and it really depends on what your asset looks like. So do you have a one or two bedroom condo? Do you have a multi-family unit? Are you in a single family home? That Mm -hmm. dictates where you're going to market your property Mm because that kind of dictates the type of client you're going to get. So that's like the first piece. But then if the way that we do calendar management, because this is a important spot. If you're legally able to hybrid, what I would do is figure out what's your ideal length of time. Some people say 30 days. Some people will do two weeks because they like two or three weeks days, whatever that is, make that your minimum stay. Mm -hmm. But then if you're using pricing software, which I highly recommend that you do, you can put in little things where it's, oh, if there's a gap, it turns into two night minimum. And what we do is we do the next two weeks. So if for some reason you're not booked and it's coming up, those Mm -hmm. next two weeks will do two night stays. But after that, we're really living the bulk of it for these longer stays. And we open our calendar a year in advance. Oh, interesting. So the thing that I've just learned recently, which is crazy that I'm still learning stuff after 10 years, but like they are constantly changing the algorithm. So being up on SEO tricks and showing up high in that search ranking really important. And one of the ways they do that is that if you have a lot of availability, they say, well, let's market this property up higher because they're going to appeal to more guests rather than somebody that only has a month available. Interesting. Right? Yeah. And then you definitely want to have your instant book on. So those are like two key things that can really change if you're having some trouble getting booked. Oh, such good suggestions. This is gold, Ziona. This is gold. It it is gold. Okay. So after the short-term summer, right? Yeah. I missed Tony's talk. Tony did a whole talk on price labs. I missed it. And I was really sad about that. (laughs) Then I talked to a friend of mine that was there and he's, oh, I'm a ninja at this. So we did a call after the summit and he told me all about opening my calendar more and like doing a couple tweaks literally overnight, I got four bookings. No. Okay. okay, (laughs) So like, we're all learning. Yeah, You can't be like, oh, I know it all. Cause that's where you miss out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating too, that you said you have your calendar out a year out because I remember Tony at the summit talking about how he really only, but he's obviously very STR focused, not MTR focused, but he was talking about only having it out three months. So I've been very kind of hesitant about having a whole lot of space out there. Because sometimes then, I guess the suggestion is that you wouldn't be getting as much as you possibly could be if you're really only within that three-month window. That was what he was he was mentioning there. But I love yeah, this. Yeah, I think the year out, what I used to not do that either. Yeah. And the year out, I think it's just really important for the SEO to be showing up on good search ranking. But the thing that's really key is make sure that your pricing is dialed in. If you're not using pricing software, do not do that because you won't know. And pricing software, they go out a year. Exactly. So don't be open to five years, (laughs) open just a year and then make sure that you've got the settings on well so that if someone is booking five months in advance, they are paying a premium for that. So you do have to have your booking set up right. Yeah. It's so funny too. And I think this wasn't my first summit. So I actually went to the first STR summit back in, what was it? September, I think. 
And I had my literally my three month old with me. So I was like the one person mm. with the baby. There were more babies this time. But I remember them hammering home Price Lab. Price Lab is one of the pricing softwares and not being sponsored by Price Lab. So any pricing software. But I have to say, so like I, I learned about it, but I just really like, I, I didn't do it. I didn't install it. I didn't start using it. And then after this one, I was like, you know what? I'm finally going to do it. And I swear to you. So it's funny. I just mentioned this in another podcast episode as well, but I feel like whenever I get a cancellation, it's a gift almost because I always, almost always get a better booking after that person cancels. So I, this person canceled this booking. It was about a couple, like two weeks out. And I was like, oh, let me, let me get the price lab software in there. And I started using it and no joke. It went up so much in price that weekend. Apparently it was like a sorority fraternity weekend at the local university here. Shot up the prices. And then I got a better booking for that same time. And it already paid for a, a month of, and more of what it costs to actually have the pricing software. So there for me, go. it was like, bam. I mean, it was like, it just yeah. really showed its value like off the bat. But I love that yeah. you said that about the year out and really, again, making sure that you have some kind of pricing software, because that is huge. We're not going to know everything that's going on in the local areas. Sure. Super important. Yeah. So apparently it actually helps with the SEO because that's another thing too, is like this algorithm, right? I don't know if we want to touch on that. Of Airbnb actually has algorithms in terms of where you place when people are looking for a location to stay at. So what are some other tips and tricks that you know about in terms of making sure that your listing is high on priority list? We'll be right back after this brief message. All right. So a lot of you know I'm passionate about women and mamas knowing their rights, especially at work. We envelop so much of our identities in our career. And unfortunately, the sentiment isn't always reciprocated by our employers. That's why I'm so excited to announce that I'm partnering with Daphne Delbo, also known as the mom attorney, so that you can become your own lawyer and confidently advocate for your rights at work. Right now, Latina Advocate podcast listeners exclusively get 10% off when joining the mom attorney academy. All you have to do is go to the link in this episode's show notes and upon checkout, put in coupon code LATINAPOD10. That's L-A-T-I-N-A-P-O-D-1-0. Learn to advocate for yourself in a way that is well-received and protected. Address concerns without fear of losing your job. Heal your body, take care of your mental health, and get paid your worth. Join the Mama Attorney Academy today so that you can strategically advocate for yourself. Just click the link in our show notes or in our Instagram bio, and upon checkout, put in coupon code LATINAPOD10. Yeah, so one of them that you want to have a pricing software for is that when you keep your calendar up to date, so that can look like changing pricing every day, which they do. They do that every 24 hours and update it all. It shows that your calendar has been refreshed. And what Airbnb wants to know is that has this person not logged on in three months and that calendar is probably not right, in which mm. case like somebody will book and then they're going to have to cancel, right? Yeah. So they want to see that. And so with a pricing software, you have that automatically. Mm. Just little things like that you don't have to think about. Another thing is that clicks help you show up higher and also getting added to the wish list. So if you're in a little bit of a slump, maybe a slow season, put it out on Facebook or socials and ask your friends to just click it or add it to their wish list. And if they want to come stay at some point, you can give them a discount or whatever. But that activity alone can get you a booking that day. So just little pushes like that where you're That's trying to wild. keep it moving. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So let's talk about the various different types of getting midterm rentals. So this is like your special sauce and it seems like it is a reason why it's your special sauce. So we talked about travel nurses. Seriously, I mean, it's like more lucrative than the long-term rental. It's more secure than short-term rentals. So I feel like it's that kind of sweet spot. But yeah, so travel nurses, I know you talked a little bit about this at the summit, but let's talk about insurance and some of these other interesting ways that you can get some of these midterm rental bookings. I'm thinking like displaced housing. How do you even enter those markets? Yeah. So it's funny. I got into midterm rentals, like seriously, I had a couple of long bookings accidentally, but in COVID, so like right around 2020, then we wrote a book on it and that book has been out. And since that book came out, I learned about this whole other world of it, just like a deeper layer that is so much more about like relocation companies and insurance, how they're helping displaced owners and whatnot. And so there's just so much more So Mm -hmm. even in the three years that I've been doing it, you can be so successful just on the very basic level of Airbnb and Furnish Finder. And then just knowing that there's so much more of an upside is really exciting. So that's something that I'm trying to pivot to now is just solely being with relocation, which that could be somebody moving for a job or moving to an area. And the reason that's really good for me as well is that I'm a real estate agent. And so even if they're not moving to my area in Colorado, I can refer them to other markets to yeah. another agent and they get paid twice. You get paid on that booking, you get paid when they buy their house. You could even get paid when they sell their house. Wow. So there's other ways to make money there. So that's a good thing to think about. The insurance layer is something that I think is just going to continue to be a need. Unfortunately, the world is changing a lot and we're seeing a lot more disasters. And so that is something that is heavy and not, oh yeah, there's a fire. Where can I make money? Like, I don't want it to be like that, but it is something that's already a need. And if you can tap into that, these people will pay so much more. So yeah, that upside is really lucrative. And the example that I gave at the event is that I have a friend in Atlanta, which is the market that I just recently bought in. And I'm really trying to double down in that market. He has a property there that's a five bedroom and he is all in with his mortgage and his utilities for 2,500, but he's able to rent that property to an insurance company for almost $8,000, which gives him over $5,000 a month in cash flow, which is crazy. It's wild. Yeah, it's great. That may not be every guest, but the more you do it and the more you network with these people that are placing these guests, the more that they're going to call you instead of going to Airbnb or going to some other website. So it's really the relationship building part that it takes a little more effort, but the upside is there. Wow. And that's incredible. That example, who wouldn't want like $5,000 in cash flow on one property, right? It's phenomenal. So Diana, let's talk about your portfolio specifically. How many properties are you managing right now? How many properties have you managed in the past? I know the number is quite high. So why don't we start there? And then what is the balance of co-hosting versus arbitrage versus you actually owning the property? Yeah. So when I started in 2012, I started with arbitrage. I didn't have any money and it was really just like getting in and trying it out. It was renting a bedroom in the place I already was renting. And then it was like getting a couple other places. From that point, I knew I really wanted to own because I wanted the stability 
And I want to be more in the right. So back then it was like wild west. People didn't know about Airbnb. And I felt, is this going to change? Is somebody going to see that I'm subletting and not want me to do that anymore? So I wanted to find a way to make my income more secure, which led me to owning. Mm -hmm. But that was a slow track. It's like I bought one place and then I'm like, okay, well, that was all my money in the world. Yeah. So from there, I got into co-hosting, which I think is an underrated position. I think co-hosting is incredible because you can get into a property for $0. You don't have to furnish it. You don't have to supply it. You basically are taking on someone's property in a partnership where you're managing it for them and you make a percentage from day one, from the very first booking. And you don't have to worry about, did I cover all my expenses or anything like that, that you have to worry about when you're an owner or when you're doing arbitrage. So I built up co-hosting over the years to five countries and I did over 60 units, not all at the same time, but it was a lot. And since then, I mean, that taught me a lot of skills about out of state, out of country management. But since then, I wanted to reel it back in and just focus on my own portfolio. So now I have 12 units in five states. And the more I'm learning about MTRs, I'm learning that even though it works for STRs to be in a lot of markets, I want to be deep in one market. So Mm -hmm. the next year or two for me looks like selling off some of my properties, picking a market I really love, and then going double down there. Can I have five properties? Can I have 10 properties in the one place? Okay. That's what I got. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So many questions, mind blown here. So you talked about multiple countries, right? So what countries Mm -hmm. did you have some of your properties in that you were co-hosting? Yeah. Spain. I had a villa in Spain. We did, um, there was a sailboat in Greece, which is a funny thing to rent out. That's amazing. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Uh, We had a property in Cape town and then one in Mexico as well. That's incredible. So I get it that you're you're essentially virtually managing this, but it just seems just so distant and it's just hard for me to wrap my head around it. So could you help me? And I'm thinking my listeners and our listeners get a sense of like, how do you manage? How do you co-host a property out of state and even out of a country? Like, how does that even work? Yeah. Well, what I would tell people is that there's this weird rule of thumb that I've heard often in the real estate world is, oh, well, your first property should be like four hours away, like somewhere within four hours. And I'm like, four hours? Like nobody's driving four hours to unplug a toilet. You know what I mean? That's not happening. (laughs) So if that makes you feel good, whatever. But Basically anything that is like 45 minutes to an hour away, like that shit is gone. It is far away and that's it. So I think people sometimes go, oh, well, I have to buy in California because they live in California. But honestly, if you live in LA and it's in Big Bear, like that might as well be Cleveland. You're not driving there. Right. Not regularly anyway. That's a good And so, yeah, I think don't get stuck in that mentality. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, my first property, I just want it to be close. But after that, get some comfort with that and try to go into a market where you can make your goals happen, whether that's cash flow or appreciation or whatever your goals are. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That really helps. And I'm really, me personally, I'm at that place right now where I live close to the rentals that I have and I'm looking yeah. to move. 
And I'm like, I don't want to sell. I want to hold on to them. But it's really that letting go process is a bit of a challenge for me. And maybe it's a little bit of, I think my friend was telling me, uh, Fernando, he was telling me it's like a little bit of small business owner syndrome or something where it's like, Mm -hmm. you want to stay so close. So right now I'm just slowly trying to put the systems in place so that I can let it go because it's true. You don't need to plunge a toilet yourself. You don't need to be fixing the things yourself, et cetera. You can just, as long as you have a team you can trust, which that's, I think the heart of it. Yeah. And so what market are you in? Are you still in South Florida? No, I'm going back to Florida at some point. I'm originally from South Florida, but I'm in Tucson, Arizona right now. Yeah. Yeah. So not too far from you, you're Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about markets a little bit and switch gears because you mentioned at this point, like you're looking to potentially sell and then really start building in maybe one market or two. So what would you say makes a good midterm rental market as opposed to a short-term rental market? What are the things you're really looking for as you narrow down your list? Yeah. So the first main difference is urban areas. A lot of times people don't do short-term rental in urban areas because they were the first to outlaw it. So like the bigger cities, but what I like to do if I'm looking for a hybrid property is go right on the outskirts. So often it's a city that has put regulations. And as soon as you're outside of the city limits, just in the county or in the neighboring town, you're good to go. Yeah. And what's great about that as well is that a lot of people have to turn off their listings and kind of change or sell their inventory. And so you get that business that now has to get push to the periphery a little bit. So I like that like city adjacent thing. I think that's a really important piece. From there, it's based on your goals. So what I usually love to find is something that is going to be a mix of cash flow, but also appreciation. Yeah. So there's a lot of markets in the Midwest that are really affordable, but they're flat. They don't seem to be appreciating much. Yeah. And so it's finding those trends of where are people moving, um, where are their new companies developing headquarters, what's happening in that? Because you always want to think of that end game. What are you going to do later? Do you want to turn it into a long-term rental? In which case you want to make sure people still live there. They're not like all moving out of town. So the Southeast in general in the U.S., is an area where a lot is happening. So that's like mid-Florida to northern Florida to you see a lot in Georgia. There's a lot of states around there that are just growing a lot. Yeah. So there's a lot of opportunity there. Yeah. So that's like where I send people, but it really depends on what are their budgets? What are their goals? What are they trying to accomplish? Yeah. It's interesting that you say that about you want to make sure, you know, what is your strategy? And if you're thinking about not just cash flow, but appreciation, right? And you want to be thinking about like where are people moving to? And so it's not just like a one-year, two-year analysis. You really want to be thinking five years, 10 years. And this is something actually my brother is really into real estate investing himself. And he's got, I think, now maybe about 10 properties in South Carolina, but a piece of advice he gave me, I don't know who he heard this from, but it was basically like, know the folks on city council and Basically, those folks and even like family members of those folks watch where they're buying property because they're the ones that know what the city's plans are five, 10 years out. And that's where you can potentially start looking. So just those little nuggets are so helpful when you think about that, even having those conversations, because you really want to make sure that you're not buying in a place that has no potential gains for appreciation, if that's a goal for you anyway. If you just care about cash flow, then I guess it doesn't really matter. But with cash flow, you need tenants. So they can't all be moving out of town. Yeah. Let's walk through like the deal making process so in terms of like when you decide to purchase a, a midterm rental. And we talked about the markets as a whole, 
But let's also talk about the numbers. Do you have your own calculator that you use? And when you're deciding, am I going to really move on this property or not? What are some of the big categories or different aspects of that analysis that are going to be deal breakers for you? Yeah. So when you're doing a midterm rental, it's not like a short-term rental. There's a lot less expenses. And so we use just, I don't know why I keep saying we, but Sarah and I, who I wrote the book with, both do long-term rental calculators and then just add in a couple line items. So our rent is going to be a lot higher. So that helps, but we add in the utilities. That's an important piece. And then the furniture line item. So often people will have a line item where it's like rehab or any kind of fixes they need to do on the onset. Mm -hmm. You could use that item and just put furnishings because that's really important. And then from there, I'm doing really conservative estimates. So usually I'm using comps from Furnish Finder and Airbnb. And I think there's a lot more upside than just Furnish Finder. That's probably like the lower end of where I can charge. But I want to know that those numbers are going to work. And then from there know that there's more upside. So from there, I'm looking personally, I like 15% cash on cash return, at least everybody's got their own kind of rule of what is important to them. Yeah. Yeah. So when we're thinking about furnishing the property, how are you furnishing the properties? Is there, do you go a different route given that it's a midterm rental as opposed to the short-term rentals? And are there even like specific companies that you go to furnish your midterm rentals that you think are great for that? And what are you looking for when you're furnishing a midterm rental? Yeah. So it's not that different, but nowadays in the short-term rental space, you really have to have a lot of amenities to compete. So you're seeing a lot of people with not only beautifully designed spaces and beautiful photos, but they have murals and they'll have a hot tub, a game room, a fire pit, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And you don't need that in a midterm rental. Not the same. Yeah. It helps. Sure. But a lot of these people again are here for work. So I'm prioritizing more desks. I like having workspaces, even if they're small writer's desks. I like to try to have a couple of those in a unit, depending on how many bedrooms. And then we built out the kitchen a little bit more. So people are going to be staying there longer and they're going to need enough pots and pans to cook with. Maybe you put in, there's a couple of properties that are close to me. And so I've retired things over there. I'm like, oh, I'm not using this like rice cooker. Maybe I'll put it over there. I'm not using this like crock pot. They can have it because those are the sorts of easy things that will help somebody who's there for a longer period of time. So you might have a blender, that kind of stuff that you maybe just don't think about in a short-term rental. Yeah. Yeah. Aside from that, we were doing blackout curtains. That's really important. I do it in my short-term rentals too, but a lot of nurses are going to be night workers. That's generally the shifts that they get. Uh, And so they might want a fan so that they can sleep during the day pretty easily. There's just little things. Maybe it's a noise machine if you live by a road or someplace that might be a little bit loud those kinds of things that help. Okay. And do you have any go-to places where you're buying some of these items from? Yeah. So we do everything through three stores. We do Target, Amazon, and Wayfair. And our whole process is just having everything shipped to the house and then building it in a short period of time. I think the part that a lot of people get stuck with is, especially if they live locally, they're like, well, I got this one thing on Facebook marketplace and I'm going to just like move stuff over there over a month. Unit furnished in four days, just go there, have a party with a couple of friends. That's it. You've got to just get it done. 
Have so nowadays, <laughs> nowadays we do all new. I used to do everything garage sale and all of that, but it's just not worth it. The things don't last as long. So yeah. now we go all new. That was another one of my questions too. Cause I feel like once one person has stayed at the property, it's no longer new it's used. So it's for, for me, if it, the, my mindset was like, why am I going to pay full price for something when it's already going to be used? But at the same time, what you just got at right now, when you buy something new in theory, as long as it's good quality, it is going to last longer. Yeah. It's just interesting that you say that I had this horror story. I'm just going to share it real quick. It wasn't a horror story. Sure. It was fine. But like in one of the properties that I have, the closing date kept on getting pushed back. And it was really because long story short, there was an issue with, with the paperwork and getting it sent over anyways. So we were thinking we were going to close on one day. We didn't close. And I had all this furniture <laughs> getting sent to the property. And I, it, I wound up having, I live close by, but I wound up having yeah. to schlep all of these boxes back to my house. And we had to wait over the oh. weekend to get the paperwork all done. And then I had to schlep everything right back over when we finally closed. Anyway, so maybe that's good advice <sighs> for folks to think about. Don't start buying stuff until you've actually closed, even though I wanted to oh. be on top of it. Like you're suggesting. Time I ordered is money. that shit early too. <laughs> But usually you can negotiate that they'll let you just open the house. You're like, I'm not going to build anything. I'm not going to stay there. Just let me open the door and I'll just put all the boxes in the house. So that's how we've done it in the past. But I feel you. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody wants to move those boxes back and forth. Oh, it was terrible. And then we had, we was like mattresses, you know, mattresses, all kinds of like heavy things. Oh, I don't recommend it, but yeah, be like Ziona and ask the folks, ask the seller. They'll drop some things off at the property. You should be fine. I didn't do that. I didn't think of that. So I had to shut things, but you know what? I probably have new muscles because of it. There you go. Whatever. It was an upside. Yeah. 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 One thing I also wanted to ask you too, I just had a conversation with Gabe, Gabe Kubanda, who's actually, he was at the short-term rental summit as well. And we were talking about like rental cars and Turo for basically individuals renting out their own cars. People can rent them out instead of going to one of these big box rental companies. In that space, one thing that I've heard is starting to kind of trickle are travel nurses using rental cars and would be preferred an extended stay. And so I was just wondering if you've heard about that if you've thought about that, if you've considered it, one thing that Gabe does is he actually bundles his Airbnbs with his rental cars. And so he's able to recognize both opportunities there. So it sounds like it could be lucrative and maybe a wave in the future, but I don't know. I wanted to get your thoughts. Yeah. So Jesse Vasquez, he's somebody in the space that does primary, primarily he's doing like medical professionals. So he works with recruiters and agencies that are placing doctors and traveling nurses. And he does that. He does work with Turo and then has like a package, right? He's like always trying to upsell different things. And he does groceries and just different stuff for people. Yeah. And I get that for creating an ease, right? Because a lot of times these people are going to go, well, maybe I like this other house a little bit better, but this house comes with a car. They're going to have groceries when I arrive. I just want to go with that simple option. Yeah. But it's a lot of moving parts. So I would just tell people like really get your place, like the stay and the house dialed in before you start adding all this other stuff. Yeah. Because I think that can be complicated. The issue with car rentals, I used to do this in the past, like when Turo first hit the scene, I did it with my own personal car because I just didn't need it that much. And it's tricky. It's if you have a car that is a little bit older and you don't really care about little dings and scratches, then it's not such a big deal. But there was a period of time that I 
transition to more of a sporty car. Every scratch was just like, <sighs> just like a yeah. stake to the heart. Yeah. So just know that people are not going to be as careful and it's a lot to have a rental that these ones would be for longer stays. So that's fine. But if they're just maybe 30 to $50 a day, but then it comes back with damage and you have to have somebody meet them to give them the car. There's ways to automate it more now, but at the time when it just was getting started, it was a little bit of a high touch situation. Now you could have a car where maybe your monthly payment is like a hundred bucks or 300 bucks a month and you're charging people a thousand or 1500 a month. And that car just lives at that property and either the person rents it or they don't. So then there's no shifting around. It's either you give them the keys or you don't give them the keys. That's pretty cool. But yeah, it's just a matter of figuring out who's going to be responsible for all these cars and where are they going and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's another element of complication, but I could see how it could work. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I'm trying to think of my own situation with my rental car. One of the things that I feel like makes Toro different and renting cars different than renting houses is that your house is always going to stay where it's at. Whereas a rental car, you don't, even though in theory, you probably have a GPS in the car, you don't know where it's going. I feel like scratches and dings are like the beginning of the issues that can come up with the Turo vehicle. But I've had one horror story happen with the vehicle that I had. And so things can happen. And sometimes it's like having to track down your vehicle. It's just something you wouldn't have to deal with vacation rentals. I personally, at this point, I don't think I'm going to pursue Turo much more after I finish with this vehicle. I'm probably going to stick with vacation rentals. But like you said, I could see the benefits. And also in terms of if someone's making a deciding factor between one property and the next, and they know that more things are going to be taken care of with this property, just could be that like competitive edge to help that person go with that property that has more of the things. So it makes sense. So I was just curious what your thoughts were. Are there any platforms outside of Turo that you know of that are good for this sort of thing, like more of a midterm rental type? Oh, I basically just know about Turo. And it seems like people, even if the person is booking direct or something, they'll still have them do the booking through Turo just to have the extra coverage. Yeah, that so, makes sense. Yeah, totally. You yeah, that. you want to protect yourself as much as you can. Yeah, I think the thing people don't think about is yes, it's a vehicle, but it's also there's so much liability with that. You just mm. want to make sure that if there are accidents and all this kind of stuff, damage to other vehicles, like how much coverage and how does that all relate back to you? So just being careful about that. Oh, and that just gave me anxiety right now. So I'm actually an attorney <laughs> by trade. Yeah. And liability is usually, I'm always thinking about all the different ways we can be liable for things. So just thinking about yeah. that just makes me a little sick to my stomach. The last thing I'll say about that is I yeah. feel like the mid-terminal space is still early days. Yeah. And so we may get there where like you have to have a car and you have to offer groceries, yeah. but we're not there. So like just having a beautiful space and building relationships can keep you competitive enough. I wouldn't worry about that right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. A great point. One other thing that I also was thinking about as well, in terms of just why vacation rentals are so much better than the rental car space for now, for now, a house is typically going to be an appreciating asset, right? Whereas a car is a depreciating asset. So that's one other huge factor in terms of the analysis. Anyways, Ziona, we're almost at our time limit here. So for folks that are newbies looking to enter this midterm rental space, What is your one piece of wisdom that you'd want to impart on folks? Yeah. If you're just getting started, the first 
buy that I think everybody should do is a house hack. And that can be harder if you're in an expensive market, but usually there's a way to make this work. And with the house hack, you can do short-term rental, you can do mid-term rental, you can do section eight, you can do whatever you want with that, but figure out a way to have either an, a separate unit, a basement area, even rooms that you rent out. However, because when you buy a property as a house hack, you get the lowest interest rate and you get yeah. the lowest down payment and you can get into a property for 3% down and some programs out there have down payment assistance and grants and all kinds of stuff for people that are just getting going. I take advantage of that and then build on that. Try to move every year, every couple of years, if you have the stomach for it. Yeah. That's a great way to go. Yeah. It's the way I started. And it's funny. I was actually talking with Jeff from Blueprint Loans as well. And he was telling me, he was like, pump your brakes, Lola. But I was even getting to the point where I was like, it's almost like people are getting paid to buy a house because there's these programs where it's like, you know, basically you don't pay anything down and you can even get assistance with your closing costs. It's pretty yeah. amazing. The opportunities out there for first time home buyers. going back and it's a perfect segue circling back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of our conversation, where I think a lot of folks feel like buying property, having property in your name is this inaccessible thing when yeah. it is accessible. And I think we just have yeah. to demystify things a little bit. And that's why we're having conversations like this one, because it's just so important that all communities, all folks from all walks of life have the opportunity to build wealth. It's just something that I'm really passionate about and I think is really important. So anyways, with that kind of closing out, Ziona, thank you so much for being on here with us today. Where can folks find you? Because clearly you are the ultimate gem. Where can (laughs) folks find you to work with you? Yeah. My website, ZianaMcIntyre.com, Instagram at ZianaMcIntyre. Those are the best places. And then I put out a book this year. It's called 30 Days Stay. And so go check that out. We did it with Bigger Pockets. So that would be biggerpockets.com slash 30 days stay. And if you use my name, Ziana, you get 10% off. So that's so badass. Can I just say that? Hello. Yeah. <laughs> so Ziona's killing the game. Well, go go follow her. Go work with her. Buy her book. And and Ziona again, thanks. It's just such a pleasure to know you and to connect with you. And I appreciate you imparting your wisdom with uh, with our listeners. Thank you for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. As many of you know, I'm technically an attorney and forever advocate that does speaking engagements and coaching when not podcasting and being a mama to my amazing daughters. Nothing in my podcasts, however, is ever to be construed as legal advice. These are for educational and enjoyment purposes only. Anywho, if you'd like to follow me in real time or get access to my free five must-have secrets for public speaking, follow me on Instagram at the Latina Advocate Podcast. That's the at symbol, then the Latina Advocate Podcast, no spaces in between. Thanks and have a great day. See you next time.